0: Well, uh, pre-announcing sometimes is an interesting thing when uh, we pre-announce
1: where I'm going to be, I guess. Yeah, you've got a lot of different tailgate invites there, Mayor Rossi. Everyone wants you to come down to Sealand's Grove and party in the parking lot before the big Centennial Conference championship game, I guess it could Mm -hmm. maybe be. It's not official yet, but hey, it's two undefeated teams going at it. They're both ranked in the top 25. It's a big game there. In Pennsylvania
0: yeah well one thing is if Susquehanna wins they still have to face Muhlenberg and I caught up with Nate Milne uh, on Sunday when he did uh, take his team up uh, for uh, Chris Ardito's father's uh, services in uh, Voorheesville New York yeah. and uh, we were talking about just you know uh, he the, the thing that sucks for uh, Muhlenberg is that no matter how their seasons turning out they're never underdogs and so it's not like they can sneak up <laughs> and bite a team so you know, yeah. Susquehanna knows what they got if they uh, do win this game on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Whereas Johns Hopkins, uh, they've already uh, kind of gone through that gauntlet and your sinus is done for them. So they've gotten through a lot of the challenges. But uh, it'll be a good game for sure. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of food and drink and whatnot. I guess I had to get there especially early because some of these tailgates supposedly yeah. start around 9 a.m. That's what I heard. Yeah. Oh, woo Okay.
1: The Riverhawks. They like to the party a little bit there, I like it.
0: Absolutely, uh, Coach Coach Perk uh, reached out already. He's like, hey, uh, what can we do for you? I guess they're uh, Sports Information Director at left, so uh, he's kind of the de facto with their intern to make sure moments like these don't go by the wayside, so I appreciate that, Coach Perk. Maybe we'll have a player on, on Friday uh, from Susquehanna, in fact, we'll uh, talk about that over the week. But, uh, JB, I gotta tell you, bar, bar, raise the uh, bar very high ian's mother yes, she did with that chili from uh what last year when uh, westminster mm-hmm. hosted mount union We so did, yeah. okay folks if you're gonna beat that chili you're gonna have to bring your bring your a-game your a-game recipe at least and uh l- let's see how it compares because i'm partial at this okay. point very partial so anyway uh Absolutely. guess what you know what we had a lot of games that went not as we predicted and then others that were just so close compared to what we expected so yeah. let's go it's season 15 week number eight crunch time of in the huddle So uh, before uh, the open there, I was just saying how some games went kind of, a, a I guess, astray from where we thought they should have gone. Like that Utica game versus mm. Cortland, and it was just like, mm. boom, all of a sudden in the second quarter, especially. Uh, but then some games like Huntington, uh, Huntington getting challenged by Methodist was a shock to me, but that was a resilient yeah. Methodist team. Tell us your 30,000 foot view, what's going on here at this point? Uh, and you can mention that WEAC name
1: right there, if you'd like to, in that discussion. Yeah, well, there are certain conferences that are sort of following the natural order of things. And then there's other places where it's a complete dumpster fire, car crash, just chaos everywhere. And it's going to take the next three weeks of the regular season to sort this out. There aren't any pool A bids that are ready to be clinched just yet. We might see a couple this weekend, but I think this is really going to push out till the very last week of the season. The Pool C situation very much up in the air because of what's happening, mostly in the Midwest, to be honest. And Region 2, with all the undefeated teams still, the chances of who actually could get a potential Pool C there is very much up in the air. There's going to be some really great region two-ish postseason bowl games through the ecac and others with some of these there's going to be teams with probably nine and one records that aren't going to get an invite because of all the chaos that's going on across the country we'll have to wait and see how it plays out
0: here we go for crunch time in week number eight of the 2022 division three college football season kind of your Halloween look going on there uh, before uh, we started the crunch time segment but here we go with region one let's start with Merchant Marina Catholic what a wacky game this turned out to be a minute left in the first quarter okay. it's Malachi Hansen from Catholic a 26 yard touchdown pass from Nico Caceres making it 21 to 0 in favor of Catholic eventually 24-0 after a field goal and 27 to 8 at halftime in favor of Catholic then in the third quarter, it's Anthony Giordano with a 22 yard touchdown pass from Caceres. That made it 34-8 Catholic. This thing's over. You know, give him the win. It's the, well, hold on. Uh 1045 left fourth quarter. Talson Smith gets a 61-yard pass from Jeremiah Wong to make it 34-18. Then a minute and a half later, it's Malachi Hansen from Catholic responding. A 75-yard touchdown pass from Caceres, making it 41 to 18. Okay, 7-10, fourth quarter, that's two minutes later in case you're losing track. There's that Towson Smith again, 20-yard touchdown pass from Jeremiah Wong. 41-25, Catholic leading. 4-11, that's three minutes later, left in the fourth quarter. Matthew Savard, a 13-yard touchdown run and a two-point conversion to go with it from him. Makes it 41-33, Merchant Marine within eight, that's one possession with four minutes left. Merchant Marie would get the ball back after a punt with 22 seconds left after gaining no ground in the first three plays from near their own 20-yard line. This happened. As you can see, Jeremiah Wong uh, completes it to Towson Smith, and then they try what they may, but can I get it? The fumble was recovered by uh, Mason Stilwell, and Catholic goes on to win the game 41-33. Catholic, again, was up by 26-19 at the half. US MMA's offense out game Catholic, 515-453. to 453. Nico Caceres, 22 for 31, 349 yards, five passing touchdowns. Wild game there. Also a little wild, Dean at Alfred State. Just before halftime, we were tied at 14 apiece, but with 44 seconds left in the second quarter, Jordan Mason gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Moses Mooney to make it 21-14 Dean. Guess what? Alfred State responds with three seconds left in that second quarter, Roman Napoleon, 26 yard touchdown pass from Justin Horvath. It's 21 apiece at halftime. Third quarter is scoreless. Fourth quarter, 2.40 left. Alfred State's Jake Palmer gets a 68 yard touchdown run. He makes it 28 21 in favor of Alfred State. They think they have this one, but hold on. Dean responds with 44 seconds left. Moses Mooney gets a three yard touchdown run. 28 apiece. We go to overtime. Jake Palmer for Alfred State gets first uh, scoring in that overtime period with a nine-yard touchdown run making it 35-28 in favor of Alfred State. Dean's Quintus Reed, though gets a 22-yard touchdown passer and Moses Mooney it's 35-34 in favor of Alfred State. What do they do? They go for two. Jordan Mason The pass attempt is successful from Moses Mooney, and that makes it 36-35. Dean wins the game in overtime. Gutsy call there. They didn't need to go for two, but they did do so on the road, and that's what the book says to do. So, you know, nonetheless, it still takes guts to make that call. Moses Mooney from Dean, 28 for 34, 295 yards, three passing, and two rushing touchdowns. Jake Palmer from Alfred State. 32 rushes, 271 yards, and three rushing touchdowns. Those are two wild games in Region 1. Maybe the exception to the rule, but nonetheless, here's some other Region 1 action. JB, go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, first off, shout out to Coach Andre Murphy of Dean. What a great call. First win for him and his regime for the Bulldogs, so that's got to feel real good. Elsewhere, like you said, Frank, not a whole lot of surprises, some interesting sort of scores though once again in the ecfc it seems like the teams at the top of the conference keep losing to teams that are beneath them suny maritime hangs on to win 26-24 over guidette who is still at the top of the rankings but just can't seem to take care of some of these games here elsewhere you see um Del Valle takes care of Wilkes, 27-14. to They're 8-0, cruising right along towards another MAC championship, it would appear. Stevenson rebounds after a couple of losses. They're now back up to 6-2, and they could be a team, Frank, I could see in the Region 1 rankings. They have a very high strength of schedule, I think just around 10 or 11 in the country, so keep an eye out for the Mustangs. Kings, once again, flying under the radar. They're 6-1 or 7-1, I believe. They just keep winning. Interesting. Maybe they'll be in the conversation for Region 1 as a, as a you know team on the alpha list. Uh, elsewhere, I mean, look at Endicott, 43 to nothing. It's the fourth shutout of the season for the Gulls. Just an impressive defensive performance. Elsewhere in the NESCAC, Bowdoin outlasts Wesleyan. Tufts uh, loses to Amherst. I think that's Amherst's first win of the season, Frank. Kind of a surprise It's taken him this long to get there. And then elsewhere, Widener takes care of Albright, 34-28. Western New England wins 38-8 and then trinity of connecticut is also one of the undefeated teams in the country in the neskac they lead the way 32 to 13.
0: but we'll not go to the playoffs thanks to the nescax rules let's go to region two (laughs) and we'll start with the game i attended Cortland at utica the battle of undefeateds in the empire eight we'll start with 418 left in the first quarter cole burgess with his 27 yard touchdown pass from zach boys Makes it seven to zero in favor of Cortland. Second quarter, fourteen forty-two left. Jaden Alfano St. John with the sixty-six-yard touchdown run. It's fourteen to zero now in favor of Cortland. They would not let up. Three minutes later, Cole Burgess, thirty-one-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys, flies into the end zone across the goal line for the twenty-one to zero lead by Cortland. And three minutes later, C.J. Messina makes it twenty-eight to zero with this nineteen-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys. No reason to go much further in this game. That was pretty much all you needed to see. 48 21 was the final. And Zach Boyds goes 13 for 18, 211 yards, four passing touchdowns, two interceptions. So, uh, Nate Palmer with just three catches for 18 yards. He did have a rushing touchdown in the game. Also in Region 2, uh, the upset that I called for, Westminster at Grove City, no less. No scoring in the first quarter. In the second quarter, 12.46 left, Braden Timmons gets a two yard touchdown run to make it 7 0 in favor of Westminster. Eventually, it would be 17 0 Westminster, but just before halftime, Scott Frazier gets a one yard touchdown pass from Logan Pfeiffer to make it 17 7. That is in favor of Westminster at halftime. The third quarter was also scoreless. Four seconds though into the fourth quarter, it's Nicholas Trelor. We looked this up to make sure that's a linebacker. Must be a big package they had going on there. For the one-yard touchdown run, the 14-play drive made it 24-7 in favor of Westminster. Grove City would add a 20-yard Nick Morrow field goal. In the next drive, But in Grove City's next drive, Joey Gita gets a 16-yard run to the Westminster 8-yard line. Eventually, they would score on a 1-yard Logan Pfeiffer touchdown to make it 24-17. Still Westminster's lead with 242 left. Just 26 seconds later, they get the ball back. Here's a big play. First and 25 at the Westminster 33-yard line. Logan Pfeiffer gets a completion for 20 yards. Gets it down to the 15-yard line eventually. Actually, the 13 there, but back to the 15 at 4th and 7. Logan Pfeiffer is incomplete to Ryan Leonard, and that would do it. They had a chance, but unfortunately, they just couldn't come back in time in this game. They lose it 24-17 to Westminster. Tyler McGowan, 18 for 31, 219 yards, and a rushing touchdown for Westminster. Logan Pfeiffer for Grove City, 15 for 35, 160 yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown you were uh, pretty convinced i think that grove city had this one in the bag at home i can't blame you necessarily but boy what a surprise by westminster to kind of shake off the losses that they've they've experienced to get that win
1: and tell us more about region two well yeah i mean we're seeing it all across the country frank these teams playing spoiler i mean grove city was in a a good position to maybe get on the list (laughs) this week and, and be regionally ranked with a uh, seven and one record, but hey, they follow the six and two. It's kind of the carnage we're seeing across the board and a lot of conferences in Region Two. Not a ton of um, surprises, mostly blowouts with the favorites winning handily. Uh, Rowan hangs on to win 17 to 10 in, in uh, the end. Jack, kind of a homecoming, you know, New Jersey rivalry game there. Elsewhere. Um, While we we won't release a name, we understood that there was a player on the Rochester team who also lost a parent last week, that they've asked for some privacy, but we we will just at least extend our condolences to the Yellow Jacket family, um, Coach Chad, Martinovich, and company. Uh, Apparently, this this individual still went out and played, though, and and I know the the Union Dutchman really respected his efforts uh, under the circumstances and and gave him a lot of credit for, for showing up, so our thoughts and prayers go out to them at this time. Elsewhere, Frank, um, you know, Salisbury put up 70. They look like a lock to win the NJAC title, but they still have to play Christopher Newport in a couple weeks, who is undefeated in the NJAC play, hanging out there. In the night games, Waynesburg took care of of Teal, and Carnegie Mellon wins big 41 to nothing.
0: Versus Geneva, no less, and uh, it started slow, but they got uh, a real groove in their offense, which they needed. Carnegie Mellon has just struggled offensively all season long so maybe that gives them a shot in the arm.
1: Not on Saturday night. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly. Let's go to Region 3. We'll start and end in the ODAC and you'll see why here. First off, Randolph-Macon at Shenandoah. 3.35 left first quarter. It's David Wallace getting a 32-yard touchdown pass from Drew Campanelli making it 7-0 Randolph-Macon. Then 6.42 left in the second quarter. Second verse, same as the first. David Wallace from Drew Campanelli. A 55 yard touchdown pass this time makes it 14 0 in favor of Randolph Macon. Then, just before halftime, Joey Hunt gets his touchdown pass, a seven yarder from Drew Campanelli to make it 20 0. Randolph Macon, there was no looking back as they win this game 35 21. Campanelli, your offensive player of the week last week 19 for 26, 297 yards, 4 passing, 1 rushing touchdown. Stephen Hugney for Shenandoah 384 total yards three or excuse me two passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown that adds up to three so getting a little ahead of myself and nonetheless great job by him despite the loss then a big game in the SAA Barry at Trinity and it delivered in terms of the excitement level in the first quarter 133 left Trinity's Justin Kermush gets a 28-yard touchdown run to make it seven to zero in favor of Trinity but Barry would respond with 11:04 left in the second quarter. Brandon Cade gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it seven apiece. Three minutes later, not even, it's about two minutes later. Crawford into motion. Horn fakes it, and he has a man wide open. Merrifield hauls it in, and Merrifield trouts into the end zone for a touchdown. Ryan Merrifield. Gets a 54-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. Makes it 14-7 in favor of Trinity. That would be the halftime score. In the third quarter, 12 3 left in that third. Blake Lynn's kicked is blocked. And the Vikings chasing after it and picking it up there. Nick Willis has room to work. And Nick Willis is going to march into the end zone for a Barry touchdown. Nicholas Willis gets a 54-yard touchdown off the missed field goal, uh, 14 apiece. It was blocked by Will Henley, and he went the rest of the way, did Willis. And we have a tie game, 14 apiece. Six minutes later, though, Trinity answers the bell a little bit here with Caleb Crawford getting a 12-yard touchdown pass from Horn. 21-14, Trinity leading midway through that third quarter. Let's go to the fourth quarter, third and 21 at the Barry 46. Gavin Gray passing deep here, and so Gavin Gray back in this game to Christian Thomas for 12 yards, but it was fumbled, and eventually Jared Phillips from uh, Trinity gets the ball, and that would end a threat there by Barry. Eventually Trinity ran the final 6:28 off the clock after that to win the game, 21 to 14. Tucker Horn 24 for 38, 280 yards, two passing touchdowns, but also two interceptions in that game. Nick Willis, 54-yard scoop and score off the blocked field goal, as you saw in the highlights. Now let's go to the other game that we were talking about earlier: Huntington and Methodist. Methodist led in the second quarter, 14 to 10, and then with 10:56 left in the second, a Johnny Maynard gets a 75-yard touchdown pass from Brandon Bolins. It's 21 to 10 Methodist midway through the second quarter. But Huntingdon would respond before halftime. Three minutes later. Kyler Cheney with a 4-yard touchdown pass from Landon Cotney makes it 21-17 still Methodist lead 3:11 left second quarter Landon Cotney gets his own 4-yard touchdown run to take the lead for Huntingdon 24-21. Eventually, Huntington's surge would continue into the second half, but in the third quarter with 1.16 left, this is how much it surged, or they surged, Connor Bradford, a 55-yard touchdown pass from Landon Cotney to take a 38-21 lead. So basically, 28 unanswered points at this point. But Methodist would try an epic attempt to bounce back. 20 seconds left, third quarter, Johnny Maynard gets a 49-yard touchdown pass from Boland's, making it 38-28, still Huntington's lead. Then, a minute four into the fourth quarter, Johnson gets a 49 yard touchdown pass from Bowens here to make it 38 35. Still Huntington's lead, but a chance here for Methodist. You can see that Landon Cotney gets intercepted by DeAirvin Great to give a chance back to Methodist right here. And then we'll see a couple opportunities here. First, Brandon Bowens on fourth and five. Gets a four-yard completion to Kobe Prelo. It's a yard short, out of bounds, could not retain possession there. And then Kaha McReynolds, look at this play, fourth down and one, and they go for it and get the two yards they need to be able to retain possession for Huntington and run out the clock. Huntington wins the game, 38-35. Landon Cotney, 410 total yards, four passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Brandon Bullens, though, 24 42, 388 yards, and five passing touchdowns in the game. Wow. Then let's go back to the ODAC Hampton, Sydney, at Washington, and Lee. As the first half expired, let's look at this field goal by Elijah Sweat. The 45 yard field goal is good to tie the game at 17 apiece at halftime. Hampton-Sydney would score twice in the third quarter, including this touchdown, which was a Max Pickren 15-yard fumble recovery. The scoop and score makes it 31-17 Hampton-Sydney. But eventually Washington and Lee would come back down by 11 with 4:34 left in the fourth quarter. Steven Murren gets a 21-yard touchdown run to make it 34-29, still Hampton-Sydney's lead. But four minutes later, Alex Wirtz with a three-yard touchdown run makes it 37-34 in favor of Washington and Lee. This game's over, right? No. But look at this pass. Tanner Bernard intercepted by Isaiah Mefford. And that does it. Uh, Washington and Lee wins the... Oh, wait a minute. There's a flag for pass interference. Wipe the interception. And Hampton-Sydney's Elijah Swite gets a 42-yard field goal to tie it up and take us to overtime with no time on the clock. Stephen Murin gets the first score in overtime for Washington and Lee. A four-yard touchdown run making it 43-37. But look at the extra point by WNL. It's no good. So they only have a six point lead. Hampton Sydney, on their turn, has Tanner Bernard score a three yard touchdown run. That makes it 43 apiece. And they get their extra point to win the game in overtime. Hampton Sydney, they look like they were left for dead in that fourth quarter at the very end, but they win it 44 43. Tanner Bernard, 31 for 45, 313 yards, three passing, one rushing touchdown, and one receiving, uh, one reception and a tackle. What, what, what's going on here? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> this guy's all over the place. No kidding. And Will Pickering, 22 total tackles for Hampton-Sydney. What a crazy game in the ODAC. The ODAC just going crazy left, right, and center, although Randolph-Macon still clearly the cream in this whole uh, crop of teams.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, and there was some pretty good action elsewhere in Region 3, Frank, because, hey, shout-out to Kyle King, who got a you know, record-breaking 68th touchdown pass, I think. It's a career mark for him. I think the next one's even going to be more nice. Cardin Simmons, speaking of 68. <laughs> looking for style points to get their name on the list. Wins big. Elsewhere, um, Ferrum, Maryville, and Dulhaven won pretty handily. Bridgewater needed a little help to get by Averett, which is interesting, and Texas Lutheran only won by a touchdown against McMurray. Austin edges ETBU by a field goal, and another great game that was back and forth in the SAA, these local rivals. Hendricks drops a close call to center, 45 to 42. In the night games, Rhodes, Beats Millsaps and Birmingham Southern wins big 47-3 over Sewanee. Got a good selection of regions four through six coming up here. We'll start
0: region six with Whitewater at Platteville. And uh, as we say on our screen, it's wiac uh, going on in the WIAC. First off, 423 left first quarter. It's Ben Wilson getting a 16-yard touchdown pass from Braden Catcher, making it 7-7. to in that first quarter whitewater would retake the lead on a uh jeffrey isatala mcguire 46 yard field goal easy for me to say making it 10 to 7 in favor of whitewater but with one minute left in the second quarter colton ingram gets this pick six for 46 yards and the touchdown to make it 14 to 10 platteville that would be the halftime score in the second half the teams would trade field goals over the first 18 minutes to make it 17 13 platteville but let's look at what happens in the fourth quarter first evan lewandowski on fourth and eight sacked for a loss of seven yards and then later in the fourth quarter look at this third to five play evan lewandowski again sacked this time for a 16-yard loss and it's looking grim right now for whitewater but they have one more chance with 230 left to get that chance and here's an attempt at fourth down from their own 17-yard line nine yards to go
1: Gets the snap, back to throw, he's in trouble, he's in, and he
0: is sacked! The ball comes loose, and it doesn't matter, it's a turnover
1: on Downs! And the Pioneers will take it over inside the 20, with a minute 54 to play in the 4th quarter,
0: and Platteville leading 17-13. Platteville, shocking the country again here, 17-13 over Whitewater. Evan Lewandowski 16 for 34, 181 yards, but four interceptions courtesy the Platteville defense. Ben Wilson from Platteville, six catches, 48 yards and a touchdown. Let's go to Chicago at Ripon in region five. First off, early in this game, look at this. Here is a safety dance to start the game in favor of Ripon. That actually proves a little important when you think about it because watch the progression of this game. In the second quarter, it's Cormac Madigan with a 5-yard touchdown run for Rippon. Now it's 9-0 in favor of Rippon. The halftime score would be 16-0, Rippon, but Chicago would come back. First, Luke Degner gets a 6-yard touchdown pass from Wesley Gao to make it 16-8 after the two-point conversion is good. Then in the fourth quarter, Nick DeAmbrose gets a 20-yard touchdown pass from Diego Solis. Now it's 16 16 because that next two point conversion was also good, but Rippin would respond. Eric Flores gets a 20 yard field goal to make it 19 16. Chicago, though, still had a chance. Michael Janis returns to kickoff 22 yards, but the fumble and recovery by Rippin would pretty much end the game. 19 16 Rippin wins. Jared Zybert gets 182 total yards, one rushing touchdown. Nick DeAmbros. 25 rushes 144 yards 3 catches 34 yards from those and a receiving touchdown let's go to Mount St. Joseph's at Hanover at halftime MSJ led 20 to 14 but Hanover would come back and complete that comeback early in the fourth quarter as it's Austin Apple with a five-yard touchdown run to give it 29 23 lead to Hanover but watch what happens next as Mount St. Joseph's Josh Taylor first gets a five-yard touchdown run with 836 left to give his team back the lead, 30-29. to And then Josh Taylor, again, from four yards out with three minutes left in the game, gets it gets it up to 37-29. And then again, another ensuing kickoff is fumbled away, and that would pretty much seal the deal as Mount St. Josephs would score again, 44-29 over Hanover. Josh Taylor, 350 total yards, one passing, three rushing touchdowns. Austin Apple, 23 rushes, 80 yards, two rushing touchdowns. The game that I thought I might sneak a big win in on, uh, thanks to, you know, you picking Albion and me picking Trine, but watch what happens in this one, Trine is first to score in terms of uh, the field goal and then a touchdown Kale lawson an 11-yard touchdown pass from alex price makes it 10-0 with 9:45 left in the second quarter a minute left though stephen douglas gets a 65-yard pick six to make it 10-6 still trying to lead but albion trying to come back and they complete that comeback just before halftime as mark taco gets a four-yard touchdown pass from jack bush to make it 13 apiece in this game in the third quarter taco again with a six yard touchdown pass from Bush. He gets uh, them up to a 20 to 13 lead, their first lead of the game. Trine would get two Colton Wampler field goals in the third quarter to climb within 20 to 19, so they're still down by one. Then let's let's look at what happens here. First off, they do block a field goal attempt that could have given a four point lead to Albion as Jackson Cooney has his field goal blocked by Jalen Page. So now Trine's still just down by one, but they couldn't score. They get the ball back with a minute 54 left, and then Alex Price is intercepted on a third and 10 play by James Bloomfield, and that would do it. Albion wins this game miraculously in some ways, 20 to 19, as Trine had so many chances in that second half. 15 for 36 was Alex Price for 243 yards and a passing touchdown, two interceptions, so obviously hurt them. Mark Taco, seven catches, 56 yards, and two receiving touchdowns. Let's briefly look at North Central at Wash U. In the first quarter, you're going to see a little trend here. First off, D'Angelo Hardy gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Luke Lehnen. It's 7-0 in favor of North Central. Then into the second quarter, 6-12 left. In that second quarter, D'Angelo Hardy gets a 28-yard touchdown pass from Luke Lehnen to make it 21-0. Hey! Let's try this again in the third quarter, 13.05 left. It's a 47-yard touchdown pass to D'Angelo Hardy from Luke Lainan to make it 28-0. That would do it in terms of touchdowns. Yeah, yep, 31-0, the hat trick for D'Angelo Hardy. Luke Lainan, 16 for 20, 228 yards and those three passing touchdowns and also one rushing touchdown of his own. Matt Rush from WashU, 13 for 20, 155 yards in interception. And four sacks he had to endure in that game. Finally, Pack loot visiting Linfield, 45 to zero, in favor of Linfield. That was the final. Blake Eaton, 27 for 32, 259 yards, three passing touchdowns. Linfield's offense outgained Pack Lute's 405 to 114 in total yards. JB, I know you got a lot to tell us about regions four through six after those six exciting games.
1: Well, I don't know if there's any Linfield coaches or players or fans that watch our show kind of across the country, but I said they needed to get some style points and boy, did they, <laughs> holy smokes, a very impressive win. But there were a lot of impressive wins in, in regions four, five, and six with the usual suspects like Mount Union, St. John's, La Crosse, Bethel, Wheaton, River Falls, Oshkosh, uh, ugh, easy for me to say, UW Oshkosh, that is, had a pretty strong Back and forth affair, I watched some of that game, the Titans prevail 19-14, John Carroll wins handily, Denison takes care of business over Wittenberg 28-10, elsewhere we saw Aurora still in the front in the NACC it looks like with a strong 28-6 win over a good St. Norbert team. Sort of a surprise score for me, Frank, Is it looks like this Northwestern from Minnesota team could be the team to beat in in the UMAC of all things. Kind of interesting, didn't quite see that one coming. Rose Holman wins big. Bluffton, I watched the end of this game, and Manchester, like Pat said on ATN, had a lot of opportunities to win this. I think it was actually a five overtime game, Frank, but Bluffton makes the play with the two-point conversion there in the fifth try or whatever it was, five OTs 50 46 to 44. Defiance beats Anderson elsewhere. Hope, wow, take, takes it to Olivet, who used to be undefeated, but now they're they've beaten twice in a row. Heidelberg wins. We've got um, Augsburg winning over Hamlin. St. Olaf beats St. Scholastica by five. We saw Concordia-Moorhead outlast Carlton in overtime. Carlton's undefeated streak is now over. We're down to, I think, 18 teams overall. Lake Forest wins big. Uh, over on the other side of things, Illinois College wins 20-10. to Augustana 56 to North Park's 34. We'll be talking about those Vikings, I think, in a, in a minute here. Um, Illinois Wesleyan wins big Dubuque wins big Central wins big it's kind of you kind of see where I'm going here a crazy funny Ram random game though Frank and I think they also talked about this on ATN Lewis and Clark against Puget Sound went into overtime and there was a quarterback named Montana no not Joe but he did wear the number 16 and he was able to lead his pioneers to a 47 41 overtime victory in the Northwest Conference out West George Fox still um, winning some games looks like um, Pomona-Pitzer, with a 28-24 win over Kalu, is still in first place in the Skyak. Who knows what's going to happen there? That's another one of many conferences across the country that is still undecided and with no idea what's going to happen, even going into Week 9. You'll see uh, that
0: happen a little bit throughout this country right now. But first, uh, before we talk more about that, I will remind you this was crunch time for Week 8 of the 2022 Division Three college football season. Okay, I unfortunately, I, I think we got some errors here in the uh, JV's Week 8 MVPs. Um, clearly, the special teams and the defensive players were swapped, uh, the photos or something like that, right?
1: Tell me I'm right. No, I think um, they must be feeding to this guy something extra special There's Coach Donaldson's got his place kicker, Brandon Steckel, pretty jacked up. I mean, he reminds me of Andrew Franks, who played for the Dolphins, Pretty pretty big guy. He kicked not one. Not two, three, or four, but five field goals in Heidelberg's win. Pretty impressive outing, and yeah, he looks like if he missed the kick or it got blocked, he would lay out anyone who tried to return that ball back for a touchdown. But there must be a theme with five, Frank, because look over here on the offensive yeah. side. the running back, Tyler Ravelli, had five rushing touchdowns. Now, I know the quarterback from Benedictine had eight passing touchdowns or something, but been a while since we've had a running back here. And you know what I'm going to do real quick, Frank? I'm going to shout out Jacob Ullman, Daniel Scold, Bray McDonald, Jacob Brooks, and Jacob North. Those are, Who are the, the offensive, offensive line offensive of Augustana? Yep. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to give some O-line love in this show. So those guys were a big reason why um, Ravelli had such a big game. And so, hey, five for five. And then last but certainly not least is this safety from Hamden Sydney who as you heard Frank's voice crack in disbelief 22 tackles in this 44 to 43 game that's insane. I don't think I've seen any I mean, you know, sometimes people could say oh the stats are being padded home cooking or whatever, but this kid was playing I think on the road and in on 22 stops. That's a lot of that's a lot of stops there Frank good news bad news situation though it's a safety that means that a
0: lot of things were getting to the secondary because i doubt they were blitzing enough for that to happen (laughs) i think that's why
1: it was a 85 total or 87 point game overall not a whole lot of defense going on but this guy was trying to do his best from the secondary to keep keep them out of the end zone and uh in our pick Race here. Uh, I'm
0: still down by five. Uh, I I lost the Trine Albion game to you, but I did win the Grove City uh, Westminster game, Westminster getting the upset. So uh, we wash basically and go 10 and three each, which is pretty good week. I'm just Mm. under 70%. You are just over 70% on the season, which is pretty good for the games we pick. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk uh, region two and what's going on here now, because in region two, JB, there are five quality conferences with winners that probably all get ranked in the regional rankings as of right now. So yeah. let's go through them briefly here. You've got the Liberty League, and Ithaca deserves to be ranked. Or so does the second place team if they f- uh, somehow slip up Ithaca. That is. Uh, then in the uh, Empire Eight, you got Cortland, obviously. So that, that's good. Okay, in the end, Jack, you'll have uh, Salisbury, excuse me, for a second. I was forgetting Sal- uh, who we had down there. Yeah. Salisbury. Salisbury. Uh, then we have, in the Centennial Conference, either Johns Hopkins or Susquehanna. And then in the pack, you got to rank Carnegie Mellon right now as an undefeated team. So yeah. that means only two teams get ranked as basically Pool C eligible teams. And that means that realistically conferences that have 4 or excuse me regions that have 4 conferences have a much better chance to get regionally ranked opponents than the teams yeah. in region 2 ultimately because you only will see on average one team that you faced in the regional rankings whereas in those other regions with just 4 teams four conferences uh, getting pool A bids there's a little bit chance of a chance for more variety and ability to have a team that you played already. And so there is an yeah. inherent unfairness going on right now to regions that have five strong conferences, because when they look at things in terms of pool C, they don't say, well, you know, the Liberty league's that really strong conference. They say, well, you beat the team who was ranked number three in region two or something along those lines. That that's the way they say it. Yeah. They, or they're supposed to say it at least. So I got to say it to the NCAA. This was a boneheaded move at this point in the whole thing. It should not have taken place yeah. this year. And hopefully it won't. Hopefully somebody will catch it and say, you know what, we will go out to eight. Because remember something, folks. We were promised 20% of the teams in Division three should be ranked. 240 teams, that means 48 teams should be ranked. Okay, throw the NESCAC out technically. So maybe it's 46, 47, but still... Yeah. You get the point. And nationally, six six uh, regions, eight teams per region is 48 teams. So why are we doing this? Why why are we doing this? I don't get it. You know, if you want to say Region 3 deserves only seven ranked teams, I could understand that under the circumstances of how yeah. uh, their conferences split out and one other maybe. But, JB, I I've heard some coaches absolutely grumbling about this whole thing. What's your thought on it?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, right now, especially in Region 2, I mean, there are two um, undefeated teams in the Centennial. So that takes up two spots automatically. And then you got Cortland is undefeated. Ithaca is undefeated. Carnegie Mellon is undefeated. And then there's three one-loss teams. There's Union. There's um, Moorstile State and Utica. Salisbury, technically, but I kind of lumped them into the pool A because they probably will win that conference. But, yeah, you're right. So now we're talking... Seven spaces for nine teams. And so there's going to be at least two very potentially playoff-eligible teams that are going to be left off that list. It doesn't seem fair, especially when you look at some of these other conferences or other regions where there's only one or two undefeated teams. Region 6 only has one. And who knows? There could be four. Who knows how many uh, WEAC teams on that list, just given the way things are going. It's just going to be really confusing. And I think some good teams are going to be left out. That shouldn't. Well, let's say let's it in a different way. If you're a team
0: that has beaten one of these one-loss teams that don't get on the board, you should be really ticked off because you're getting no yeah. credit for a quality win, basically, at that point. A regionally ranked opponent is what you need. They don't look beyond reg- regional rankings to determine that. So if a union ends up off the board and you're Utica and you beat union, you don't get that pleasure of getting that regionally ranked opponent, basically. And so you're right, it really does baffle here how you handle these rankings if you only go seven deep in a conference, or in a region like region two with those five quality conferences. This was not a well-played situation, as I said, and uh, I, I really do wish yeah. they would reconsider well- this.
1: or. And I don't know if we'll have time, but uh, you know, if you want on Friday, I know it's, uh, it's technically Monday when we're shooting this. I sent you my predictions of who I think will be the seven on each list. We'll see how I do. I could be off. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I saw some things that
0: made sense. I saw some things I might uh, dispute a little bit, but it wasn't horrible uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the other things I, I will point out that uh, looking back at this weekend, Endicott still fighting to get ranked. Okay, I, get, I do have five teams from the WEAC in there. Uh, okay, I will admit in my ballot, five teams from the WIAC, but I still have room for Endicott. I mean, how can't you at this point? How many shutouts do they need? You can degrade Region 1 all you want, but this team is
1: doing everything they're supposed to do If you look at them from the the phase of the eye test, they look as good as any top Empire 8 or Liberty League team at this stage, in my opinion. So if those top teams are able to be ranked in the top 25, I think the Gulls should be afforded that same respect. Now, granted, that Salve-Regina
0: game that's coming up will be a very telling game about just how good they are. I get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, And maybe some WEAC carnage continues and kicks a couple teams out of the uh, rankings that way to get them some room. But right now, I, I would be a little upset if I'm Endicott. The goals deserve to be ranked, and they are in my rankings at number 23, I believe it was, again, this week. Um, as for the rest of the top 25, trying to rank the WEAC teams is just like uh, you could sit there for about three hours. Nate Milne and I were talking about this. He wrote in the AFCA poll, and he's like, yeah, good luck. Because I'm like, I got a couple hours to get mine in. And he's like, yeah, well, you could make arguments 13 different ways to the ordering of the WIAC teams and where to place them at this point. But uh, I did put a tweet up this uh, weekend that seemed to get a lot of attention more than I thought it would about the SAA, especially, in terms of competitiveness Mm, against the WIAC and the ASC. And... There's some data we have now, going back to last year's playoff game between Trinity and Mary Harden-Baylor, and and then some of the things, the crossovers with the WEAC that we saw, in Wheaton as well, Barry playing UW-Dub, and uh, Mary Harden-Baylor playing UW-Dub, and everything else going on, but UW-Dub not looking great in terms of, uh, you know, they're struggling a little bit uh, to get their foothold right now. And when you net out everything, you kind of say to yourself, The SAA teams, the ones that you would place value behind, namely, uh, you've got Trinity and Birmingham Southern and Barry, even center to a certain degree. These teams Mm. seem to be at least putting up fights in these situations, if not winning them. See Trinity versus Wheaton for more information. So guess what? This used to be kind of the laugher of the whole situation maybe five, six years ago. The SAA, okay, well, who's going to go visit and lose to Mary Harden-Baylor this year? Because that's the only uh, thing you got going for you. Well, that's not the case anymore. This is legitimately a conference that could win a big playoff game in rounds one and two, if not more. What do you think?
1: Well, yeah, and I've been sort of trying to figure out in my brain where I could potentially see the the brackets sort of be built off of and it does seem like if Trinity runs the table and you have a Mary Hart and Baylor you have Huntington you're going to have some teams there in in the southeast and and Texas that could create an interesting little pod that I don't, I don't know how you see that exactly but I've, I have a feeling that there are going to be some some action going on down there, especially if you have Harden Simmons get in as a pool C, you kind of have a, a quadrant there that could be interesting. Maybe you get another UMHB Harden Simmons rematch, or maybe we see a Trinity Harden Simmons game, or maybe we see a Trinity. I mean, there's lots of different machinations that could play out, but it'll, there's at least enough of a core strength there. It could be interesting to see how it plays out. Indeed. Uh, So we'll uh, see how this works out. I might eat
0: crow on this one eventually. And some folks up north uh, definitely uh, think I am already. But I've got enough eye test stuff over this year. (laughs) Yeah, really. I test uh, for going down to Texas a couple times. I test for watching some of these games we might not otherwise watch, but uh, because they've been timed well, we were able to watch some of them and look in and see how these teams mm-hmm. fare, especially like Barry versus Whitewater. That was not a trouncing by any stretch of the imagination. No, they,
1: they only lost by two touchdowns. Or other teams have done a lot worse than that against the Warhawks. And uh, then
0: uh, you know you look at the WIAC and you say, will anybody be ranked that uh, has a pool C chance in there? Because if lacrosse loses another game, I'm not sure how this thing plays out. Because remember, lacrosse has two non-division three games this season. So if they end up at eight and two, it's really six and two in terms of d3 purposes and remember what happened to oshkosh a while back when they had something like that happen to them and they basically weren't taken seriously because they didn't have enough division three games to be compared in uh, their minds now they had three non-d3 games that year uh i believe it was it's two for oshkosh or two for lacrosse excuse me this year but still uh it's something to think about how this whole thing plays out in region six i guess you got to rank somebody in the WIAC because there wouldn't be enough teams out there with quality to do otherwise.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I would be surprised if there were three teams from that conference selected. I guess you'd never say never, but let's say if Platteville runs the table and they win the Pool A, what if you have a 8-2 and two Whitewater team sitting out there with only a couple of Pool C picks left? Are they going to get put above, let's say, a 9-1 and one Johns Hopkins or Susquehanna as the Centennial runner-up? Are they going to be put ahead of the Empire or Liberty League runner-up, depending on how many wins or losses they have. Let's say Ithaca loses, uh, but wins, but wins Cortico to finish nine and one, and they're up against an eight and two Warhawks team. How do you make that choice? Not easily. But I will remind you
0: one other thing about this whole South North thing. Who did Platteville lose to earlier this season? Harden Simmons. Harden Simmons, big time. Yeah. Yep. Who loses to Mary Hardin Baylor? Who's challenged by Trinity? And yet, Platteville beats Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, you, you look at this compilation of games and you try to make sense of it. But all, the only thing you can make sense of is any given Saturday at this point, and that there's enough strength in all of these teams to win at least maybe 30 out of 100 matchups if you put it, you know, on a computer simulation or something like that. Well, any given Saturday says that. Those 30 could be this week versus next week. Who knows? But that's the thing you got to watch out for. This is anybody's race. The only thing I think is really brewing, and I'm going to say it as we close out here in a second, Mount Union is being Mount Union and getting no attention whatsoever, yet they're doing what they do every year with a lot of players back from last yeah. year. I have a funny feeling we are setting ourselves up for a real... Not disappointment, I you know, for Mount Union fans, but a real situation where Mount Union just rolls over everybody, ultimately. Maybe they are the strength out there, and we just can't tell because the OAC doesn't look very good right now for them to show exactly what they've got. But we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Mount Union is just sitting there, I think, kind of like the Cheshire Cat, thinking, hey, count us out. Go ahead. Whatever you Purple say. Purple power. Yeah, yep. indeed. So j b. last thoughts here on week eight as we begin to turn our attention to week
1: numero nine yeah, I think, and we'll we'll get into that in uh, on our Friday show. I think we're going to have a guest from Susquehanna join us because of the big game there in the centennial, but you know there's going to be some games that are going to help the chips fall as they as they may. Uh, Bridgewater State versus Mass Dartmouth, for instance, is a su- sort of de facto. Mascat game, I mean, the Corsairs need to win that if they have any hopes of making the playoffs. Elsewhere, Utica versus Morrisville State for sort of second-place bragging rights, staying in the Pool C run. Springfield versus Merchant Marine is a big game in the MAC. RPI versus Ithaca. I mean, the Bombers haven't beaten the Engineers since they joined the Liberty League. For some reason, this Engineers team has their number. That's a huge game with national implications as both teams are undefeated in the Liberty League. Union versus Hobart our annual uh, Alma Mater rivalry frank cuz uh, that's always a little fun one to have on in the background. Rowan's playing Salisbury which will help decide the NJAC ultimately. And then elsewhere Adrian Albany elsewhere Adrian versus Albion in the MIAA, can they shake things up there? Howard Payne is playing Hardin-Simmons and Howard Payne hasn't lost a game in the ASC yet. Who knows what happens there? Randolph-Macon versus Washington and Lee. River Falls, Whitewater, another huge potential upset brewing or lacrosse, Oshkosh. What happens there if, let's say, the Titans win? Or what happens if the Falcons win? What does that do? It could create complete havoc. Monmouth and Lake Forest in the NWC is a big game. Blinfield, George Fox. I mean, man, I'm excited. It's going to be a great Week 9. You know the best way to handle Union versus Hobart week, though? Uh, yeah, what's what's that?
0: That, folks. Have a great week. Until we see you uh, on Friday for a live show. Be well, everybody.